on that. Uh, yes, it's getting close. And do remember next, next week, because next Sunday is a special time that we're going to take to pause and look at the gospel of Jesus Christ through a Christmas lens. And if you do have unsaved friends and family members, co-workers, neighbors, whatever, make sure they are invited to that special day. We have the dinner following. It's going to be catered by Legios. And so that's going to be a special time as well to just eat and enjoy each other's company. And so please make sure that you're there for that. And please sign up if you know who's coming and if you're going to be able to join us for that. So so today, I believe it's Grace Taylor's birthday today. Is that accurate? Make sure you... Uh, I won't sing because you guys would leave. But make sure you, you say happy birthday to Grace. It's her birthday. And tomorrow marks my six-month anniversary as your pastor. Did you know that? So that went fast, right? Hopefully it's been a good time for you. <laughs> it has been for me. Uh, God is, I think, blessing this church, so we give all glory to him. But it's gone quickly, and uh, it's been a blessing so far. So I want to thank everybody who's, who's just made us feel welcome, and all the people who serve in this church. We can't do what we do without you guys, and uh, I don't have time to look at every single person who does that. But, but thank you for all that you do and serve this church. God is using this church mightily, and we continue to wait and see how he continues to grow this church. So would you join me this morning at 1 John 5, verses 1 to 12. The title of our lesson is going to be called, Whoever Believes in Him. And we're going to steal that right from first, or excuse me, John 3.16, which Paul just read. Whoever Believes in Him is the title of the lesson. The title of our series, Who Wants to Shout It Out, has been called, Love to Love. Good job, guys. Yeah, Love to Love. And love is all over 1 John. We're going to continue that. Our plan is to finish 1 John, as I've mentioned before, by the end of the year. By that last Sunday, we hope to finish the book of 1 John. Did you ever get a great bargain? Think about it. Did you ever get a great bargain? Any bargain hunters out there? People who love to search out the bargain? There you go. My mom definitely is. Did you ever miss out on a bargain? A bargain slipped through your fingers. Any Black Friday shoppers out there? No. Yeah. I like the online shopping. I'm not going to lie. I don't like messing with the crowds. You know what? I worked three Black Fridays and paid my dues, and I saw enough. I don't need to go back to that chapter of my life. In fact, one time I worked at Best Buy in my early 20s, and uh, it was Black Friday. I had like a 14-hour shift, and as soon as those doors opened up, they had, you know, the door busters, and really what they were is they were a piece of junks. They were putting low prices on, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I worked there, and I knew these things weren't that valuable. But they were sold as a bargain, and so we had these people rush in to get this stack of $20 DVD players, and the, the brand name was like Skavitsky or something like that. <laughs> like, that ain't lasting. <laughs> You'll be back with that thing next week. Anyways, I, I share that story because two people came up and kind of like fought over the last DVD player and came to me to like referee it. Like, and the lady was like, listen, I had this DVD player. I set it down just for a second and this guy took it. And I'm like, I, I'm not your mother. I don't know what you want me to do here. And I'm like, it's kind of like a foul ball in a baseball game. Whoever has it now has it. So uh, Black Friday. But that's all about getting bargains, isn't it? Finding the bargains in the store. Every year I miss out on those bargains because I'm not willing to pay what's necessary on Black Friday to get up those hours. And, but some of you do. I did have a couple bargains in my life, though. And I want to share with a couple of the other stories with you. When I was in my early 20s, about 24 years old, I finally got my first full-time job. It was at a bank. I was working there in uh, Dunmore, a.k.a. Troop, right next to Troop. And I was, I was working full-time at this job, finally, and uh, started getting an income, starting getting benefits, things like that. And it was time for me to start considering my first car, my first car. 
Not those cars my parents got me when I was 16, you know, with the mufflers hanging off. And Actually, one of those cars actually always dripped water into the cup holder, no matter what I did. There was water always in the cup holder, so I got a goldfish for it. You know, it's going to, why not? Get a pet. But anyways, it was time for me to get my first car, an actual car that ran, and, you know, I wasn't embarrassed to drive. No offense, Mama did. But uh, so with guys, I don't know if this is with same thing with girls, but with guys, you always have like your dream car, right? There's a dream car that you have in your mind, but the really your dream car is, it's not realistic. Um, I'm not going to get a Porsche Carrera, you know? So my dream car was not going to take place. But then I had sort of a second tier car that I was looking at. And I told my mom, mom, if you ever find a Pontiac Grand Prix, let me know, because that's the kind of car I'm looking for. I want something sporty. I want something that has some muscle. Something I can look cool in. And uh, so one day, mom actually, I don't know if you called me or pulled me aside and said, Todd, I found this car uh, locally, and it's, it's a Pontiac Grand Prix. And I said, get out of here. Really? And I said, well, it's, it's probably too much money. She goes, well, it's, it's actually, I don't think it's that bad. Let's go have a look at it. So we went, look, went to look at this car, and it was black. It was awesome. And I went out for a test drive, took this car out for a test drive, and this car had some speed, it had some muscle, I looked fantastic in it, put my shades on, I felt like Knight Rider, started talking to it, and it wasn't responding. But we found out that it was actually a pretty good deal. It had a lot of miles on it for, I think it was only a 2002, and this was 2004 at the time, and it was like $5,000 or something like that. And it was a really good deal, and I said, I think we need to pull the trigger, this is a great bargain. So I bought the car. Bought the car, had my first car, and it was a really, really good car for me. Uh, I had it about eight years or whatever, and that car was just, that, it was my, basically my dream car until it eventually took an abrupt end there in Michigan. But really good car. I considered that one of the best bargains I had ever received. Until about 2008 when I moved to Michigan. And the car bit the dust, a yeah, little footnote there. But I found another bargain, and it wasn't a car this time. It was Janine. I moved, to 2000, moved in Michigan to 2008, and... I moved single, not really looking to get married, looking to just serve the Lord like Paul, focus completely on the kingdom of God. But then Janine entered the picture. And it was like, huh. You know, she's attractive, she's funny, she's godly, she gets my sense of humor. And I started to connect with Janine and started to realize, I better scoop her up before someone else does. I actually, I don't know if you guys know this part of the story, but I actually moved to Michigan in September 18th, 2008. I got engaged to Janine October 18th, 2008. Do you see what I'm saying here? She was not going to slip through my fingers. Put a ring on her finger, got engaged in one month, and uh, you know the rest of the story. So I consider Janine one of the best bargains I've ever received. Um, we want to talk about bargains today because I believe Jesus Christ, as I've mentioned before, is a bargain, an eternal bargain. I want you to join me now in 1 John 5 verses 1 to 12, and I want you to listen to the words John says this morning as we look at the, the title, Whoever Believes in Him. This is what John says. Hear the word of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. 
not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, and whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. We started this out by having Paul read John chapter 3 because I wanted to focus on the passage with Nicodemus talking to Jesus. And at the end of the passage, Jesus says to him the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is what we preach this morning. That Jesus Christ is the bargain of bargains. He is the eternal bargain, and I hope you guys will understand that, at least by the end of this lesson, if you don't already. Let's look at our goals today. We have five goals that I hope to get to. Number one, our goal is to know whether we believe in Jesus so that we may know that we have eternal life. And there's the confidence that John is bringing out again. He wants us to have confidence. He wants us to know, be assured that we actually do know Jesus and believe in him. So that's goal number one, to have that confidence. Number two, is to know God's commandments so we can properly love God and love his people. And we will pause and look at those. Number three, to understand that if we have faith in Christ, we have overcome this world. And that's what John says in this passage. And we will look at what he means by that, because that's an interesting phrase. Number four goal, to appreciate the testimony of Jesus Christ and to be assured that his spirit is within us. John is going to give us a lot of different tests and proofs to know that we are of Christ, and that's going to be another one. And then number five is to wonder at the value of Jesus Christ and to be willing to give him our all once we realize that he is the eternal bargain that he actually is. So let's first, let's do this. Let's sort out the truth from verses 1 to 5 because John gives a lot of shotgun phrases there and they all sort of mean something really important. And the first thing John says there in 1 John 1, excuse me, 1 John 5, verse 1, he says, believing that Jesus is the Christ, a.k.a. the Messiah, is the proof of being born of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your heart of hearts, in your soul, that Jesus is the Christ? Not just a man who lived, who was wise and had a following, but the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent from God to this earth. That is the message of Christmas, isn't it? Jesus came down. We talked about that last week, about love came down. So the first thing John says is that belief in who Jesus actually is, is the first step to eternal life. Number two, he says, loving the Father, our love for God, is proven by our love for all of his children. That you can't love God unless you love his children as well. We'll look at that again. He also says loving God's children is proven by obeying God's commandments. So how do we know we love God's children? John says obedience. Obedience to God's commandments is how you actually know you love God's children, which if you're following the train, is how you know you love God. Then he says the love of God's 
excuse me, the love of God towards us is proven by us keeping his commandments. Times two. You could tell that keeping the commandments of God is incredibly important. And that's why we need to look at those things today. Next, he says something that is going to be really helpful. He says, God's commandments are not burdensome. Because if you have the wrong perspective, they may feel that way. And John's going to say they're not burdensome. Why? Because everyone born of God overcomes the world. Therefore, the commandments authenticate that you're born of God. And therefore, you will overcome the world. So his commandments to us, if we have the right perspective, are proof of life. Proof of life, eternal life. John then says the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Our faith is the substance and the assurance of our actual one-day victory. And then he says, who is it that overcomes the world? Who is it? Who is the one that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He circles back to what he said at the beginning. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God? See, John is giving us all these equations. You know why? And maybe John wasn't a prophet. Maybe he didn't know exactly what was going to transpire in our day and age. But did you know that 75% of America claims to be Christians? 75%, three of every four say, I follow Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. Do you think 75% of America is Christian? Do you think we have a Christian nation to that degree? I find it hard to believe, honestly, because I think the world would be in a better shape. I think our country would be in a better shape if we followed the teachings of Jesus. But 75% of America claims they are Christians. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how many of those people are deceived? How many of those people do not know what John is talking about today and do not have the validation that they actually are of Christians? And I'm not going to let this church, this body, assume that. And John isn't going to let us assume it either. He needs, he needs us to know that we actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is the goal today, to have assurance of our eternal life residing in our soul. But I went quickly through those points, and I did that on purpose, because now we're going to slow down and make sense of this. How do we make sense of what John has just said? I think we start off by this way, by saying, being born of God is the highest privilege imaginable. Being born of God is the highest privilege imaginable. Any royal family followers out there? Anybody like the royal family there in England? That's awkward, Drew. Uh, <laughs> it's oh, that's what it is. Okay, okay, okay. Beautiful. So... <laughs> A lot of people like the royal family. The royal family has a high following. That's, I mean, that's kind of what the world would consider the best, right? I mean, that's the highest privilege, to be born in the royal family or to marry in the royal family. Well, obviously, we know that there's something much greater and higher than that. God's family far surpasses any royal family on this earth. And I want you to consider that today, that being born of God is the highest privilege imaginable. This isn't homework. This isn't chores. This isn't hang your head or depression. If we can find out in a test today that we're sons and daughters of the one true God, hopefully we have joy about that today. If you are born of God and we find out that you are today, it means that God wanted you. You specifically, put your name there. God chose to adopt you into his family. You. God desires to give you every ounce of his love for all eternity. You. God does give you his special love and grace 
every single moment of your lives? You. Things like provisions and protection, his teaching, his guidance, his discipline, his tenderness, his compassion, his peace, hope, and steadfast love are all yours because you're his child. Remember how cool it would be to be in the royal family, right? You're rich, you're famous, everything good that comes to them comes to you because you're one of them. Well, we are in the royal family, we are. The king of kings is our king, is our friend, is our savior, is our master, is our Lord. Because we are his children, because we are God's children. And the world, unfortunately, does not get the things we just mentioned, they don't. Only God's children do. And I want everyone here to have that confidence today that you're in the royal family, the eternal royal family, God's family. And so that's why this is necessary. That's why this is important today, to find out if that's a reality in our lives. So John stresses to us that we must know that we are the children of God and not just assume so. Because being wrong about that would be eternally tragic, wouldn't it? To get to the other side fully convinced of who you are and find out that God doesn't know you as one of his children? That can't happen for any of us. We need to know, and that's what John is going to do today. He's going to stress the fact that we can know 100% certain that we are one of God's. So he gives us a test to prove that we actually belong to God. And the test for finding out if we are God's is very simple. Do we love God's children? The test for finding out if we're truly God's children begins with simple belief in who Jesus is, that he came to save us from our sins, and that we love his children. Do you believe what Jesus said about himself? Do you believe that he's not just a man, not just a teacher, but that he came from heaven to earth, that he was born and a virgin, was born as a babe, raised and grew and obeyed the will of God every step of the way and then gave up his life so that you and I could have salvation. Do you believe that about Jesus Christ? Because that is profound. If you can believe that Jesus Christ, an historical figure, was not just a person, but was the Son of God and the Messiah and the Christ, then that's the first hurdle. That you believe who Jesus said about himself, what Jesus said about himself. So are you convinced? Are you convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be? And you need to be convinced. It can't be 50-50. You have to be convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. You have to put your entire weight upon him because that's what it means to have faith. The next hurdle is love for the Father himself. I would hope you say today that we all love God. We want God pleased. We want his will to be obeyed and done. And I think, again, like America, I think we would all assume that we do love God. I would say that. I love God. I think I would have said that 15 years ago, even though I didn't. I love God. I love him. But again, John wants us to know that it's a reality. And the proof for this one is very simple. Like I said before, do we love God's children? Do we love God's children? Because if you love God's children, you love God. Those people sitting next to you, those people in this room, do you love them? Because John is going to state something very simple. You can't love God if you hate his children. It doesn't work. It wouldn't work if you said that to me. Todd, you're a great guy. Wonderful pastor. Your, your kids are really annoying. I hate them. Don't bring them again. Well, what you're doing is you're actually showing hatred to me because those are my children. 
And if you flip that around, if you show love and special tenderness to my children, you're also loving me, aren't you? Same for my wife. If you show love to my wife, you're loving me as well. So if you say you love God today, you can't dodge loving his children. You must love his people because they mean everything to God. Everything. Just as my children mean everything to me. You can't love me and hate my children, and you can't love God and hate his children either. So if we love God's children, and we have to remember we have to love them God's way, not just with a special feeling, but with humility and sacrifice and um, seeking out the betterment of those people. If you love God's children, you have crossed hurdle number two because that is the proof for loving God. Do you love his children? Do you love the people that he cares about most of all? If you do, then you love God's children, you love God, and you're born of God, and you're on a very, very good track so far. Do you love God's children? But perhaps, this is what John is going to say, I think, again, we're too apt to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and say, of course I do. Of course I love the children of God. Yes, I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a special feeling and tenderness for them. But John is going to authenticate that even. Because if you unravel one of these things, the entire thing goes. So if we don't really know that we love God's children, we can't really know that we love God, and we can't really know that we're born of Christ. So loving God's children is incredibly important. So John is going to give us a test to know whether we love God's children. And the test to this is obedience to God's commandments. John says it right there. It's obedience to God's commandments. Both the love of God and the love of his children can be proven by obedience to what God has required of us. Because you have to remember, God defined love, not man. God is the one who invented love and told us what love is. So we have to do it with God's version of love. Not just assume that my general kindness and lack of hatred towards God's children is enough. Do I love them God's way? And it seems like circular reasoning, doesn't it? If we love God, then we'll love his children. If we love his children, then we'll keep his commandments. And if we keep his commandments, then we love God. It's like just one big circle. But you know what I think John is trying to help us do? I think he's trying to help us fine-tune our love for God. Fine-tune it. So it's real and authentic, and God knows it and feels it and senses it. And he can test it like he did with Abraham and Isaac. Remember? Abraham, you say you love me. I believe that you love me, but I'm going to test you to see if you actually love me. Give me your son. Abraham did. And you know what the phrase was God said after that? Abraham, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son. So how do we know that we love God? How do we know that we love God's children? It's obedience. Obedience to God's commandments. We believe today that perhaps a deep feeling of affection towards God is all that God requires sometimes. I do. I just I feel something for God. I'm thankful for all that he's given me. Is that what the love God is looking for? But again, we have to remember looking at last week, the topic of love. Love is about humility and sacrifice and action. It's about doing things that bless God and bless other people. It's more than just a feeling. It's deeper than that. And so we have to discover this today. And the way we discover this is simply by looking to Jesus. The way we discover true love is by looking to Jesus. And that's what's such a blessing about the Christmas season. We look at him. We think about him. We reflect on what Jesus did for this world. We know that he came down, right, to give up his body. In fact, that's what Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says. 
is that Jesus became nothing. He became a servant. He served his own people that he created. And then he gave up his life so that those people could live. So how do we know love? We look at Jesus. We gaze at Jesus Christ. We consider what Jesus did for us. And then we know love. And then we have to put that kind of love into practice. Because that's the kind of love that God is looking for from us. Humility, sacrifice, and doing what's necessary to bless those around us. So seeking to love God without knowing and obeying God's commandments. (laughs) Let me give you an illustration of this. Seeking to know, excuse me, seeking to love God without knowing and obeying God's commandments is like the time that I worked at Best Buy about 12, 15 years ago or whatever, and I was a TV guy. I worked in the TV department, okay? I learned TVs. I learned how to sell TVs. I learned the ins and outs of TVs so people could come in and ask me a bunch of questions, and I knew how to guide them. But one day, most like other jobs, they were short on certain people in certain departments. And this day, they were short on camera people. They didn't have anybody in the camera department. The person had called off or whatever, had some kind of thing come in their life. And so we had our full stock of TV people. So the guy, the manager, came over to me and said, Todd, what do you think about working in the camera department today? And I said, ooh, not a good idea. Not a good idea. I don't know anything about cameras. He goes, that's okay. I said, how can that be okay? I know they're going to ask questions about this. I don't know anything about cameras. And you know what he told me? Fake it. So when you go to Best Buy, there, there you go test everything they're saying. He said, actually, you know what you can do? We have these little cards in front of each product. All you need to do is look at the card, read the specifications, and try to guide them that way. And I said, I don't know about this. It's not a really good idea. But I was like, okay, you're the boss. You think I should go in the camera department for eight hours and try to guide people on cameras when knowing nothing about cameras? All right, so I did, and I tried to fake it. And people would come up to me and go, yes, does this have optical digital zoom? And I would look at the card and go, why, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Digital optical zoom. Got to have it. Uh, Does this one have super slow-mo? Let's take a look here. Why, yes, it does. Super slow-mo. It actually doesn't say that one, but I'm going to say it does. So if you buy this thing, it's a Canon. How could it not have super slow-mo? Buy this Canon, take it home, and enjoy the camera. And basically what I'm trying to tell you today is I think that's what a lot of people are doing today with God. Pretending. Assuming. Faking it. As if to say, of course I love God. But they don't know anything about him. And they don't know anything about the things that he's taught us. How can we claim to know God if we don't know his commandments? How? It's impossible. And so John is going to say, if you want to love God, if you want to love his children, learn his commandments. Learn them. We're going to learn later on. They're not burdensome. They're helpful. They're here for you. They're here for this world. They're here for God's sake. So I want you to, I took a little insert inside your bulletin. I want you to pull that out now. I'm not going to put these on screen, so you're going to have to direct your attention to your sheet. And what I did on the sheet is what I've done some, something like this before, is I put down the commandments of God for you. And I believe by looking into Scripture, there are two overarching commandments that are very plain to see in Scripture. And we're going to look at those now. If you want to know God's commandments, you've got to start with these two. These two envelop every single commandment of God's. And remember, they're commandments and not suggestions. So these are musts. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as I've said before, 
That means love God with everything, every ounce of you. Love him that way. The second commandment is like it, only it's directed to a different object. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The common denominator is love. Love. And as we've talked about before, this is purposeful, offense, action type of love. This is love that has to be done and sought and striven for. And so love is all of the commandments. I mean, you could tell right, right at the beginning here, he's talking about love. But you guys have heard about the Ten Commandments, right? We're going to look through these very quickly, but... There are 10 commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. It's found again later in Deuteronomy that God gave to his people. Things like, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to anything else besides me or make it with your hands. You shall not take my name in vain. And then he goes on to say, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. By looking at the list, if you thought about it just in the surface level, you might think it's just about a lot of not-dos, right? Just don't do things. Sit on your hands and don't sin and you'll please God. Just don't do these things. Don't do these really bad, wicked, evil things. And God will be pleased. But as I consider the first two greatest commandments, and I consider the entire rest of God's scriptures... I think it's much more than a bunch of thou shalt nots. I think it's about love. I think it's about purposeful, intentional, humble, and sacrificial love. And even if you look at the old Ten Commandments, I think you can find that if you look a little deeper. I think the first three are about loving God. How to love God? Serve only him. Worship only him. Be careful how you use his name. Love God. Love his name. Love what he stands for. Love what he's about. So I think the first three are all about loving God. I think the final six, excuse me, yes, final six are about loving others. When he starts out by saying in number five, honor your father and your mother. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't covet what belongs to someone else. I think what he's basically saying with those final six is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then we got one right in the middle. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And in my paraphrase, take a respite. One in seven, so that you will have the strength to love the Lord and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And even that is a commandment because you can't do it otherwise. I've tried. Anyone else? You know what burnout is? It's a real thing. God gives us a commandment to say, pause, rest, get your bearings. And then get back up and love me and love your neighbor. That's what I think the old commandments are about. And I, you could take my word for it, and I think that would be kind of dangerous. But the reason I believe that is because Jesus came down. He came down to teach. He came down to die. And he came down to, I believe, reform the old understanding of the Ten Commandments. So we don't believe it's only about defense. It's about offense. It's about purpose. It's about intentionality. And what I want to do briefly here is look at the, what I'm calling the better Ten Commandments. And I don't think those are my words. I believe Jesus spoke that way. And they're found all throughout the New Testament. They're a further and better explanation of the Ten Commandments. And I want to stress this. They're not different. They're just further unraveled. 
further explained, and I've gone over this before, but I think it's really helpful for us today, that if we say we love God, we have to know what God expects of us. So will you look at these 10 with me, these new, better 10 commandments? And if you put these side by side, which I tried to do on your sheet, it didn't really work. But if you put these 10 commandments side by side with the old 10 commandments, they go together. Number one explains number one. Number two explains number two, and so on and so forth. And so I'm going to look at number one of the, best, the better Ten Commandments that we find in Matthew 22. And this one is just a restating of the greatest commandment of all time. Because Jesus said to him in response, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Do you see that there? Love, purposeful love toward God with everything that you have. Love him with all you have. Hold nothing back from your love for God. Love him with your mind, love him with your heart, love him with your soul, love him with your strength. Give everything you can to God. That's a little bit different, right, than just have no other gods before me. Love him. Number two. We find this in Romans 12, 1 to 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the old commandment number two has told us to just not create anything with our hands and then serve and worship that thing. But you can tell in Romans 12 it's deeper than that. Present your bodies to God as living sacrifices. Don't just not bow down to something you created. Give everything you have to worship of God. Purposefully, intentionally, on the offense, with action, towards worshiping God. Number three, we find in Colossians 3 and 1 Corinthians 10, Jesus says things like this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, to all to the glory of God. The Old Ten Commandments, number three, told us to just not take his name in vain. Be careful how you use the name of the Lord. And in these passages, it's saying, use his name and bless him with it. Bless this world by doing everything in what would please the Lord, in what would bless his name. Everything. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, anything, put anything in there. Make sure it honors and glorifies the name of God. Do you see how different that is? If you look at it properly, then just don't take his name in vain. Bless him. Bless him with your speech. Number four, this is the Sabbath one. We find in the New Testament it says things like this. The Sabbath was made for man. Notice that. It's not burdensome. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, found in Mark 2. And I think Jesus is saying once again, rest. Take a respite. Take a one in seven approach to resting so that you can do what God has called you to do. The rest is for your benefit. It's not about a lot of thou shalt nots on the Sabbath. Rest. Take what you need so you can have the strength to get back up and serve your Lord. And I think that's what the Sabbath was about. Number five, we get to loving one another, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. He says in the New Testament in Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, 
that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Do you see that? Aren't obey and honor terms of offense and intention? Obey. Honor. Give to your parents what they deserve. Please them. Obey them. Honor them. Terms of offense. Number six, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, he says in Ephesians 4. In Romans 12 it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The old number six was, don't murder. You shall not murder. Jesus came down to teach us, and suddenly his apostles are saying things like this. Be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do you see how different that is than just don't kill somebody? Bless. Lift up edify, encourage, and even what Paul is saying there in Romans 12, love one another as if you're competing with each other. Out-love, out-honor those around you. If someone honors you, out-honor them. If someone loves you, try to out-love them. Boy, that's a big difference that just don't kill someone's life. But we have to see that, that this is what love has always been about. Number seven, this one really impacts me. Uh, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 um, we learn from the old, old number seven, this is what it says, you shall not commit adultery, just don't sleep around. In Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And you know what it says right after that? That impacts me. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, I haven't slept around, therefore I'm loving my wife. No. Love your wife as Christ has loved the church, Todd. Have you done that yet? Can you check that off yet? No, not yet. Well, then get at it. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Boy, that's a big difference. Then just don't sleep around. He says in Colossians 3, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Love them. Build them up. They're, one of, they're you. They're one flesh with you. Do not be harsh with them, but build them up. Number eight. The old number eight said, You shall not steal. The New Testament says this in Ephesians 4, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, so that he may give to anyone, doing honest work with his hands, excuse me, that he may give and have something to share with anyone in need. So it's not just about stealing, it's about giving. Hopefully you're seeing a pattern here. Number nine, the old number nine was, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The new number nine says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Having put away falsehood, let everyone, excuse me, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So it's not just about don't speaking falsehood. Purposefully speak truth to your neighbor. Don't just zip it and not say anything false about them. Speak truth. Bless them by speaking truth into their life. And then number 10, we learn from the old one that you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbors. And Jesus and Paul said things like this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Don't just not covet. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law in the prophets. Do you see that there? Sell, give, do, 
show, aren't they all terms of offense? Go on the offense and bless your neighbor. If someone's in need and you have something to sell, sell it so that you can bless your neighbor. That's very, very different than just don't, go, don't covet what belongs to your neighbor. And I hope what you can see is something that God has always been trying to prove to us, that love takes action and purpose and energy and focus. In John 13, which I believe this is going to be on the slide, listen to what Jesus says in the New Testament regarding love. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also ought to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's the proof again. How do you know that you're Christ's? You love people. You love others. Listen to this one from Romans 13, which I think is astonishing. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Listen to this phrase. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. I didn't make this up. These are the words of God. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. When you and I go on the offense for love, we're fulfilling the entire law of God. All the Ten Commandments, the two greatest commandments, we're pleasing God with our lives by going after love. That's why this topic is so crucial. But I understand this, this feeling may be there. We may be feeling overwhelmed and exhausted by even thinking about this right now. It may seem like a burden right now as we consider, wow, that's going to take a lot of me to do that with my life. And this is where John says to us, God's commandments are not burdensome. Why, John? They seem like it. That seems like it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of energy and a lot of me losing things to love my God and his people that way. Why are the commandments not burdensome? It's our proof of our life. And it's also how we overcome this world. If love is burdensome, I believe we're already very off track. If love to us feels like a burden, I don't think we're looking at Jesus. I don't think we're considering the great love with which he loved us. And we have to consider what I just said from Romans. Love fulfills the entire law. I mean, talk about putting ten into one. It's actually the opposite of burdensome. It's simple. Instead of trying to do ten things every single day and not break those ten, go on the offense for love and all of them are fulfilled. If you change your perspective, it's not burdensome. It's actually a lighter load. Jesus actually came to remove the heavy burden that was on her back and said, Love. If you love, you will do all of the Ten Commandments. You will do everything that pleases me. You will have the proof of life within your soul. And he says, according to this passage, it's how you overcome this world. Obedience to the commandments of God is how you and I overcome this world. John says in 1 John 5, 4, Everyone who has been born of God, which again is authenticated by obedience to the commandments, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. As we've just proven that being born of God is equivalent to obeying his commandments, they prove one another. If you obey God, then you are of God. 
And if you are of God, then you will obey his commandments. And if we're obedient to God's commandments, look at these four things. We love his children. If we obey God's commandments, we love his children, which means we love God himself, which means we're born of God. And since we're born of God, we're on the right team, and we will overcome this world. Look at those things. Look at that list. If we're obedient to God's commandments, we love his children, which means we love God, which means we're born of God, which means we're going to overcome the world. Is that burdensome? Is that burdensome to have that on your resume? Simply by loving? If you change your perspective, it's not burdensome at all. That's a present to you. That's a Christmas. We do that on Christmas, right? We exchange gifts. God is giving us a gift by the commandments. But I know that's hard for us to change our habit on that because commandments always seem like chores. Things you don't want to do, but you have to do anyways, right? That's kind of what chores are. And you always want to find a way to slip out of chores, you know, pass it off to your brother or your sister. But these commandments are a Christmas present to us because look what they do for us. They validate everything that we want to be. Everything. Sometimes you get bad gifts that, look, that actually become good gifts, and sometimes you get good gifts that actually turn out to be bad gifts. Let me explain. The one year while working at the bank, I got uh, for a Christmas present the one year lottery tickets from a coworker, And I kind of got excited. I'm not the person that's going to buy lottery tickets. I'm just not. I'm not going to go purchase my own lottery tickets, but someone gave me lottery tickets, and I first thought, maybe I'll get $10,000 or more. Maybe I'll hit the jackpot and I'll walk out of here and I'll just quit my job that very day. I'm done. So I was like, wow, really kind of excited going, wow, that's kind of a cool gift. I never got lottery tickets before. But you know what happened? I scratched them off. I got zilch. Nothing. Zero. All it was was paper at that moment. The gift that I was kind of excited about turned into nothing. Then there's certain gifts in your life that seem like they're not great gifts, and then you find out they're wonderful gifts. My sister has this, this uh, habit, this annual tradition we have that's turned into a tradition that she wants to take family pictures of my family every single year. Because every single year it seems like we have a new kid. <laughs> so every year the pictures are outdated. She takes the pictures last year, it's like, okay, they're outdated again. So Christy likes to give us the gift of getting pictures. And to me, as soon as I hear that, I'm like, ugh, Christy, again, this has to stop. This takes so much energy, you know? This is so hard. I mean, just getting my children here to church is a task. As you can tell, they're not here today. Um, they're sick. But getting kids into a picture, into outfits, and getting them to smile, I mean, that's like an all-day thing. And I'm like, Christy, this isn't really a gift to us, you know? This... But you know what? When the, when the uh, pictures come back, and I'm able to see those pictures of my kids, it's worth it. It's worth it. We have those pictures hanging up in our house now. And yes, you don't see the blood, sweat, and tear that went into that, but, but what you do see is you see wonderful pictures. And what looked like not a great gift was actually a really, really good gift. And Christy now knows that, and I'm sure we're going to get it again this year. Um, maybe she'll wait for the new kid. But basically, that's what the commandments are. The commandments, when you open them, look like, ugh. The commandments, Lord, really? I'm not about that. You know I love you, right? I just don't want to obey you. Um, and then you start to realize they're all about love. And they're there to authenticate everything that you want to believe is true about yourself. Yes, 
God loves me. Yes, I'm born of him. Yes, I follow his son. And yes, I love him. How do you know that? Because you obey the commandments. Therefore, it's a very, very good gift. And I hope you believe that today. But John says, we've got to move very quickly, never lose sight of Jesus. Never lose sight of Jesus. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Because without Jesus, none of this is possible. None of it. Without Jesus, we can't be born of God, which means we can't obey God's commandments, which means we can't love God's children, which means we can't love God, which ultimately proves we have no fellowship with God whatsoever and we still abide in darkness. But when Jesus comes, everything changes. And all of those things become realities once again. Do you see the value and the worth of Jesus? Do you see that he unlocks every single treasure that this world has ever known? By himself, by his own sacrifice, Jesus unlocks every single treasure and says, have at it, it's yours, go get it. If you and I believe in Jesus and we love God's children by striving to obey his commandments, then of course we're of God. And certain victory is ours. And John uses this phrase, we will overcome the world. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, what does that mean? What does it mean that we're going to overcome the world? Doesn't that sound, sound a little combative? A little aggressive? Maybe not a very loving thing to overcome this world? In fact, didn't John 3.16 say that Jesus, that God so loved the world that he sent his son? So why now is it good that you and I would overcome the world? And of course, I believe that John is referring to something way different than we find in John 3.16. Because God so loved the world. That he gave his son. And what does that mean? I believe it means he loved the people of the world. The people that he created with a special, unique, creative abilities. He loved those people and did not want to see them perish. But when John says in 1 John 5 that we will overcome the world, he's referring to the evil system of the world. The curse, the sinful pattern of this world. The hatred that the world has towards God and towards his people and even the temporary fading joy of the world. If we're with Christ, we will overcome all of that. We will win. We will win. In fact, our team has never lost because it's led by the all-authoritative Lord. If we're on God's team, if we're on Christ's team, we will overcome the world, which means you and I will stand victorious on the last day. Eternal joy and glory await Christians eternal joy and glory. We will reign with the Lord forever. All the wrongs will be righted. The poor in Christ will be made rich. And although right now it seems like the Christians have the poorer lot in life, everything's going to be flipped upside down. And suddenly those who are poor are now incredibly wealthy forevermore. And those who were seemingly the losers here on earth are now the victors because of Christ. So if you have faith in Christ and I have faith in Christ, we're supposed to find great confidence and courage today by this fact that one day all the pains, all the sufferings, all the injustices will be over forever. Eternal relief is coming, Christian. Do you know that? Eternal relief is coming. Therefore, press on in obedience. When I was younger, Christmas time was that time that no matter how hard December seemed to be, I was looking forward to Christmas Day. And I used that to help myself get through December. Because sometimes, I've talked to some people already, December's kind of exhausting, isn't it? It's a little tiresome. I think maybe that's why we have half our crowd here today. 
December's exhausting. But as a kid, I was spurred on by the fact that Christmas Day was coming. In fact, my son, Haddon, is doing a countdown every single day. How many days till Christmas? In fact, now we have two Christmases because you guys are celebrating with us before you go out to Iowa. So he's now he's like, how many days till Christmas and how many days till the first Christmas? And we're down to four before the first Christmas. But Haddon is counting down because he's looking forward to the reward. And that's what John wants us to have, too. Look to the reward, Christian. And you can press on. And you can obey further and longer. And we will have confidence and courage. We're not going to have time to look at the rest, unfortunately. I think I'll maybe put that into the next lesson. So I need to forward, uh, go forward here to the application, all the way down to the application. And I need to ask you these things today. Do you believe in Jesus truly? Ask yourself that question. Do you really believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Is your faith validated by striving to practice God's commandments so that you can love him properly and love his people properly? If so, go forward in confidence, Christian. Go forward. Because one day you will be rewarded for your devotion to Jesus. And if not, if there's some in this room that don't know if they believe in Jesus, don't have that validation of loving God and loving his children, come talk to me. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Mel. Go to God directly and sort this out and say, God, what will it take for me to truly see Jesus today? Believe in him. And he will help you. I promise you he will help you. Number two, how can we further mature our love for God and his people? Is there anything you need to let go of in your life so that you can further love one another? I like illustrations, so I'll give you one last illustration. What if you were an Olympic swimmer? and you needed to swim a bunch of laps. And before you went into the water, someone strapped leg weights and arm weights on you. Now, you might be a great swimmer. You might be uh, able to beat the best swim time of all. But if you're wearing leg and arm weights when you go into the water, how well are you going to swim? Not well at all. In fact, you may drown. That's kind of the illustration here, that if we want to love one another, but we're further weighed down by the things of this world, I don't think we'll be able to love very well. So is there anything that's weighing you down from loving those around you? Anything. Search your life. Because it's not worthwhile to keep that thing and hold back love from God or his people. And the last thing is if you're truly in Christ by faith, an eternal life with God has already begun. And are you confident of that today? Do you have joy and courage here on earth to do what God has called you to do? Because you have to have it. I have to have courage. I have to have boldness, and so do you. And we're never going to get this time back. Never. Once this time slips out, it's gone forever. And this is the best and hardest place to prove your love for God. In heaven, it's easy. All the pain is gone, all the sin is gone, all the suffering is gone. And we just love God and he loves us. There's no, there's no obstacles whatsoever. But now there's obstacles, aren't there? But this is the place that means the most when you love God. If you love God here on the earth, of course you love God. And we'll never get this time back. So what are you doing with your time today? What are you doing with your life today? Is it going to matter into eternity? Do you want to love the Lord where it means the most to do so? I hope you would say yes. I'm going to end this lesson the way we started by looking at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have 
eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life today? Are you following the loving and eternal life giver with your life and with your soul? Because if you do, you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for the word of God that has so much power in it. I pray that you would impact our souls and hearts today to realize that Jesus Christ is so valuable and so worthwhile to give him everything. He is the eternal bargain. That anything and everything we could give Jesus, Father, will only serve us to pay that back on the last day when we are standing with him in confidence. And he welcomes us into the kingdom of God. Help us to know that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Help those in this room who have that life to go forward in obedience and help those who may not know that they have that life find it today because it's the best present this world has ever received. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.